So let's have our reading just now. Vince is going to come and read to us. Thank you. Uh, today's reading is Luke 13, verses 31 to the end. This passage is about Jesus' sorrow for Jerusalem. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go and tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Shall we pray? Lord, may the words that I speak this morning come from you. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and to understand what it means for us here in this place this morning. Amen. So for anyone that hasn't noticed, it's been pretty windy out there recently. And in this ridiculous wind that we've had over the last week, I for some reason decided it was the time to start upping my running to five kilometre distances. And I have been running with the wind behind me which feels really great. I feel like I can go at a decent pace. It pushes me along. And I also have been running with the wind battering me from either side. And at worst, running with the wind hitting me straight in the face, so much so that I'm trying to run as hard as I can and I'm barely even walking. Yesterday morning, I joined a large group to run a very windy five-kilometer park run. I was a bit nervous. It was January 2016, the last time I did a park run. So I went along with a friend, because these things are always better when we do them together, aren't they? And if any of you missed our Alongside Sermon series, that's a handy one-line summary for you there. And we ran at different paces, meeting at the finish line, where it became quite clear that I was the one that had clumsily stomped my way through more of the muddy puddles. I ran alongside students that I had taught when they were in year seven, who were now towering over me and running much faster than me, I have to say. Staff from the school where I worked for nine years, and I was delighted to run into two people, not literally, I might add, who I hadn't seen in nearly two years, one of whom probably doesn't know it, but was really helpful to me in some of the conversations we had in the earlier part of my faith journey. I also ran alongside one boy who I know has had endless health problems, but he was still there running and one lady who had obviously very recently had treatment for cancer, and yet she was still there, running the course. And perhaps unsurprisingly, this led me to reflect on our journeys and how we respond to obstacles along the way. The obstacles that I have faced in recent years have not been health issues, but I am still only moving forwards on my journey and running the course because of God's grace and God's healing after several events that near enough stopped me in my tracks. 
In today's passage, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem when he is interrupted by the Pharisees. Now, Jesus set out on this journey back in Luke chapter 9. And in verse 22 of that chapter, we heard him say to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus embarked courageously on this journey that would lead him through challenges and things that could stop him in his tracks, and then to rejection by the people of Jerusalem and ultimately to his death. Jesus, up to this point, has been journeying, healing and teaching as he goes, bringing others to know God's kingdom. And then he encounters the Pharisees telling him, leave this place and go somewhere else because Herod wants to kill you. That's a bit of a slap in the face, isn't it? Or I guess a gust of wind hitting you in the face, depending on the analogy we go with here. So how does Jesus respond? He gives the Pharisees a message to give back to Herod, whose name he doesn't even use. Instead, he refers to him as that fox. Now, I will confess to getting a little distracted here by this seemingly out-of-place animal reference. I don't know which fox image was worse that popped into my head, Swiper the Fox from Dora the Explorer, or the fox who we were all so eager to hear back in 2013, courtesy of a Norwegian pop sensation, whose name I can't actually pronounce. And if you don't know what I'm talking about here, then just count yourself as one of the lucky ones, I suppose. <laughs> Suffice it to say that both fox images conjured up in my mind are not po particularly positive, which actually works out fairly well because Jesus uses the word fox as an insult, referring to Herod's cunning, deceptive, and indeed destructive nature. The message that he asks the Pharisees to give to Herod is a confident retort, which basically says, I'll be coming to Jerusalem when I'm good and ready. And despite you telling me to leave, I'm going to carry on. Jesus therefore refuses to let the Pharisees' warning distract him from his mission. He gives the impression that this doesn't faze him. The wind is blowing him straight in the face, but yet he keeps a pace running into it. Jesus is there to heal and to deliver people from demons. That is his mission, and he will continue on his journey to Jerusalem, but he will get there in his own time. Don't you just love Jesus even more for his attitude here? The mission he is carrying out comes first, and he is not afraid to be bold in his response to rejection. Now, the animal references keep on coming in this passage as Jesus later refers to himself as a hen gathering chicks under his wing. So Herod is the fox, and Jesus is the hen that the fox is hunting down. But Jesus is obviously not scared to stand up to Herod. The image is of a brooding hen, which refers to Jesus' loving nature and his desire to protect. And from that, of course, came his sacrifice for our sins. As Jesus nears his destination of Jerusalem, his response is in the form of a lament. It is not a lament about what will happen to him, but instead, Jesus wells up in sadness with a longing to gather the city and its people under his wings. He wants to share God's love and kingdom with all, even those who would reject him or seek to do him harm. 
It's perhaps an uncomfortable question, but in lots of ways, Lent is the perfect time to ask such questions. What do Jesus' words teach us here about how we should behave towards those who reject or condemn us? Would our reaction to animosity be one of love and warmth, or would it be one of anger and contempt? When people disagree with us or have something bad to say, is our reaction to be defensive, aggressive, even sulk for a bit, or do we respond positively with love and empathy or perhaps pity for the other? I'll put my hands up here and say I do defensive and sulky really well. But when we are faced with rejection or some kind of obstacle, do we eventually reach that place of questioning, hang on, where's God in this? Or what would Jesus do here? It's really okay if that takes us a while to get to that point. And for me, Jesus' caring reaction to a people who reject him and to being told that Herod is trying to kill him is a stark contrast to the reality that we live out in our humanness but it's no less something to aim for. Rejection comes to everyone at some stage or another. And I am certain that all of us here this morning can think of an example of a time when we have experienced it. Rejection in a relationship, from a job we really wanted, from a group where we don't feel welcomed, or maybe we're prevented from doing something we really want to do by circumstances that are out of our control. Whatever the circumstances, rejection can really hurt. As I mentioned at the start of this talk, I have experienced rejection, and perhaps unsurprisingly, the biggest sense of that that I felt left the biggest scar. And it left a scar because it felt personal. Healing takes time. I couldn't just turn around as Jesus does today in in the reading, with a confident retort and carry on. I couldn't actually let God in to begin with. In the 2013 Lent book um, by Ben Quash, he said, Christians may be nearer to God when they are in some sort of exile than when they are not. So the good news that comes from opening ourselves to God when we are feeling hurt or lost lies in the deepening of that relationship and the healing that can happen when we do let God in. When we sit with that sense of rejection, perhaps that sense of questioning ourselves, our identity, our faith even, praying God's presence into those hurting places makes them hurt less. Psalm 27 came to mind as I was preparing for this morning. It's a beautiful psalm that acknowledges pain and rejection, but overwhelmingly speaks to us of light, hope, and salvation. Indeed, the psalm begins with, the Lord is our light and our salvation. And later on, there is a line which says that in the face of rejection by even those closest to us, the Lord will receive us. God will not reject us. God sees us as we are. We can't hide anything from him, even when we are trying to close him out of something that feels painful. And I'm making the assumption here that I'm not the only one that does that sometimes. Many of us will have received an ash cross 
on our foreheads at the start of Lent on Ash Wednesday. And this cross reminds us that we're all sinners, but that Jesus has saved us from those sins, whatever they may be. I think it was Linda at the encounter service here who was responsible for ashing me. And a few people asked me afterwards, who did your cross? Because it was such a large and clear cross, which of course you can't see for yourself when it's on your own forehead. Now receiving this cross in all its boldness overwhelmed me with a feeling of, I am free. And that is what the cross means for all of us, every one of us here. Isn't it of great comfort to us to know that Jesus goes through rejection too? We hear about it several times in the Bible. In that very famous chapter of John 1, which begins, In the beginning was the word. In verse 11, we hear, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was rejected by his own people. And there are several examples that we could refer to here. The people of Jerusalem were expecting a powerful, conquering king who would free them from Roman occupation at the time. They had their plans and their agenda, and instead, they were given a king who accepted and showed his own vulnerability. In Luke chapter three, chapter 23, sorry, verse 23, we hear how the people with loud shouts insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. By rejecting Jesus, the people of Jerusalem reject the salvation that Jesus offers. They reject that amazing gift that we have been given of being saved, of being set free. The city of Jerusalem fell in AD 70, which was around the time that Luke wrote his gospel. And Jesus' reaction to Jerusalem's rejection of him is that he weeps. He weeps because he doesn't want to see anyone perish. He wants everyone to be saved. In his lament about the holy city of Jerusalem, we heard the words, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. That doesn't make it sound much like a place of pilgrimage, prayer and worship, does it? After the events of the last few days, as Vanessa referred to just now, I couldn't help but think about New Zealand here. Just a few days ago, people worshipping their God in their holy place were killed. A horrific act that shows a complete rejection of God, our caring, loving God who weeps with us at the sight of this suffering. A commentary I read about today's text said about Jerusalem, perhaps the devil sees the power of worship and pilgrimage and has concentrated his forces to defeat them. I am sure many of us know the verses from 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Perhaps in the events of this week, which sadly in our world today are not a one-off, it is the devil coming between us, targeting the places of peace and people who seek closeness with their God. How do we, as people of God, respond? 
we can respond in prayer by gathering and worshipping God and in doing all that we can to share God's love around us. We cannot do anything about what has happened. It doesn't mean we should feel any less sad, any less hurt by those events. We need to give them space. We need to mourn them. But we also know that there will likely be other events like it. People choose to reject God, but God is waiting there, waiting for us to go to him, wanting to draw us all into a deeper relationship with him and loving each one of us. The good news in all of this is that God will never reject us. And on our journeys, we will get whipped about by the wind, pushed backwards when we're trying to go forward. And at times, we will surely question our thinking, our reasons for doing or for being. But in all of this, God is waiting to welcome us home, to draw us nearer to him. And he longs for us to turn to him and let him in. If we can't let him in easily or as quickly as we would like, then that's really okay. Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem in his own time, on his terms. And our journeys are all personal to us as individuals. The amazing thing is that each of us can walk that journey, safe in the knowledge that we are saved, set free, and above all, deeply, deeply loved. God has the plan. We are not in control of it. But as we gather here in this place, we can support each other on that journey. God puts people into our lives at the right time, even though we may not realize it. If you've hit a tough patch, there's most likely somebody nearby who can help. And if you're running along with the wind behind you, then maybe there's someone who needs you to help them get to that same place. Perhaps the Pharisees warning Jesus in today's reading were there to bring out that sense of determination and perseverance within him to help him to publicly, publicly assert his intention to continue on his mission. So as we follow the story of Jesus towards the cross this Lent, let us make space for Jesus in our hearts and let that light shine through us as we welcome others and as we continue to walk alongside each other. Let us embrace God and welcome him, even amongst the really difficult stuff. Let's continue on our journey and with our mission, running, walking, stumbling, and sheltering from the wind. But let's do it together in the knowledge that because Jesus made this journey ahead of us, we are free and we are saved. Amen.